Good morning, everybody. Let's worship the Lord with gladness. Let's come before him singing with joy today. I praise in the valley. I praise on the mountain. I praise when I'm sure. I praise when I'm down. I praise when outnumbered. I praise when surrounded. Cause praise is the water my enemies drowned in. As long as I'm breathing, I've got a reason to praise. Praise the Lord, oh my soul.
God, we give you glory this morning. Lift up a shout of praise for our King. Amen. Who's excited to be in the house of the Lord today? Welcome, church. My name is Jennifer Jones. I'm on staff here as the children's director. And I'm Bill Jones. I'm one of your elders here. It's great to be here this morning. Hey, Bill. How are you doing, Jim? Would you like to hear a super cool God oh, story? Cool. Right, yeah. Give me, I love God stories. Give me one. Okay. Awesome. So Kelly Key shared a God story, and I'm going to read it because I don't want to miss she any did. of the details. Yeah, she's back there on the keys. Hello, Kelly Key. <laughs> so a few weeks ago, Alex Arnold shared a word in our service, and he mentioned that a spirit of competitiveness was causing a division. And Kelly said that it resonated with her. She knew God was trying to get her attention to conquer the need to always be right. She said that it caused anger and negativity towards her loved ones. And so after receiving prayer, she told us, I now have a peace and a renewed resolve to not always have to fight to be right. Instead of always needing to control situations, she's finding victory in letting God handle these issues instead of trying to, to control them on her own. I mean, it's an awesome story. It's great to hear feedback on how these things are, are panning out and how the Lord's working. Um, Y'all, you've got a guide that you should have gotten when you came in. It's kind of going to give you a flow of our service, some things to look for. Uh, coming up, we got All Hail King Jesus. I think Sarah's going to rock that for us today. And then after that, we've got, um, uh, we've got Trevor Davis finishing up or our, our starting our sermon series, uh, Grace at the Lord's Table, which... If you were raised Southern Baptist like me, hearing a different view on how we treat the Lord's table, it's been really helpful, uh, and then going into that. So you can, you can look that, and then there's some events uh, yeah. also, too. Yeah, we also have um, upcoming events, and something I'm really excited about, if y'all didn't know this, our church is turning 25 years old this year. Can you believe that? I'm so excited, and we're, we've got some great things that we're planning behind the scenes, and so we're really looking forward to that coming up in October. It is awesome, but it makes you feel a little old, and you can tell Trevor is not as young as he was 25 years ago, but other than that, it's still good. Um, the, the next thing we've got is we've got a prayer card. Um, our elders and our staff pray over these every week, so if you have not taken an opportunity um, to do that now. Um, fill these out. Um, you can give us a prayer request. We'd love to pray for these. Yes, and, you know, we really do encourage everybody to fill one of these out. Um, if nothing else, just put a praise. Like, every single one of us has something to praise God about, right? Yeah. Yes, so if you would fill these, fill these out for us, we would love to know that you're here, and we would love to pray for you, and we would love to celebrate your praises with you this week. And if you've had a story like Kelly did... This is how we learn about it. So take your time and write on here what, what your praise is. You know, we don't always have to use our Lord and Savior like a magic wish where we're always asking. Let's just give them some praise sometime. So, so don't be afraid to do that. All right. Um, is there anything else you were supposed to say? I think that's it. Okay. So now, without further uh, delay, I want to introduce a friend of ours. He comes from Knoxville where the bad people in Orange live. But he's... <laughs> He says that he is God's favorite. Secretly, I know that I am God's favorite. But with that, I'd like to introduce Chris Stevens from Faith Promise Church in Knoxville. You would forget. So what happens when you're not from Knoxville. Well, it's great to see you guys 
I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Who is thrilled to be in God's house? Come on, somebody. And King David said, I would rather spend one day in his courts than 10,000 elsewhere. The scripture said that we want to hide in the shelter of the Almighty, that we want to make our way to the secret place. And so part of a corporate gathering is exalting God, worshiping Him to the level that He gets bigger than our problems get, that our praise exalts Him to that when we walk out with the peace of the Lord. But it also drives us to not just get what we get here because if you only eat one meal a week, you're going to be pretty weak. Are y'all with me? And so this is just a corporate meal that we get ready to walk. I have, I've been walking the Lord since 1982, and I've never pressed in harder into the presence of God than I am right now. I am so hungry for more of God, and I know that's where you are. So uh, Michelle and I love you guys. We love this church. And Michelle was here in the parking lot at 8.30 until I dumped a giant Starbucks coffee into her lap. And uh, she's in Walmart trying to find something to wear. And so, uh, just an absolute, so what happens when you're from Knoxville? You pour coffee on your wife. So, but we love uh, Pastor Trevor and Angie, the, the boys. We've known them since they were in high school. And uh, I want to tell you, I've said it every time I come, still over, over 40 years of ministry, Trevor Davis is one of the top three most, rad was one of the top three most radical students I've ever met. And I did student camps for thousands and thousands of students. And so I'm so proud of what God's doing here, so proud of how God is moving at GCC, stoked about what's going on. It is, it is incredible. I have, do, have the privilege of sort of being a, being a father and a mentor uh, to Pastor Trevor and Angie, but I'm also a coach for Ready, Set, Growth. The church has been in for a little over a year getting ready for the greatest days of the church. And so I hope you, I hope that you're with me and daily I lift up Pastor Trevor. I lift this church. So don't let me out pray you. Are you with me? Don't let me out pray you. Pound heaven for your pastor his wife, the boys for, for this church. And I was, I was interceding for Trevor, and, and the Lord just gave me a word. Now, that's not normal for me. Just, let me just tell you. Uh, it, it's not normal. And I was praying, and this is what I felt like the Lord said. God is pleased with how this church is pressing in to the Spirit. Are you with me? Because this church is pressing in, hungry for God. For God's spirit, for greater gifts, for greater, for a greater move, for revival, for all that stuff. And, and I believe that, that it's going to be more in 24. I believe 20, 24 is going to be the greatest year in the history of Great Commission Church. I believe it. We are prepared for it. We're getting ready. Are y'all with me? Yeah. And so, man, we're going to, we, we've had some, lots of miracles. We've had some incredible things. It's amazing what God is doing. But we're about to come to a crossroads. So in on one hand, God is pleased with us pressing in. <clears throat> but there is a caution. And that is this. But you're coming to a crossroads. And will you go on to reach more people? 
Because see, as we get, we're, man, we're, we're a family, right? Are we? All right, four of us. Are we a family? Okay, see, so we love each other. We're a family. And as God begins to, to explode inside the house and people begin to talk about, other people are going to want to come. And some of those people you might not like. You went to high school with them. They were chumps. You, don't want, you know, they're just all kind of stuff. They're going to be people from different parts of town. There's going to be all these people come. And here's the, here's the crux of it. The most sacrificial, selfless, spirit-filled, God-honoring, biblically obedient thing that you can do is whatever it takes to make it hard to go to hell from Olive Branch, Mississippi. Now, that's going to cost you. There's a, it cost Jesus his life for us to go to heaven. Are you with me? Matter of fact, the Bible says, and he left some suffering for us to do. So you're going to have to give up your seat and your parking place. And as the revival comes, somebody gets in here this brand new, they're going to sit in your chair. And you're going to walk and look and say, they're in my chair. But I came early this morning and I looked over, I didn't see one name on the chair. Are y'all out there? It's not your chair. It's God's chair. And if God wants somebody else to sit in your chair, I want you to move happily. Matter of fact, you know what the greatest thing you can do is have to stand up against the back wall because there's no more chairs. And do it with tears running down your eyes because God's saving lost people. You gotta give up your, your parking lot. Your, your, you gotta give up your spot, your seat. You've gotta give up some places to serve so some new people can serve. Well, whoa, whoa, I like where I serve. I know you do. Because see, so you get your identity out of serving instead of out of him. So your identity, see, your, your, your current assignment is, is what you're doing. But our, that's not our identity. I just rolled out of being the senior pastor after 35 years. My identity wasn't that I was a senior pastor. My identity is I'm a follower of Jesus. I just have different assignments in that. Does that make sense? So there's a, I, I believe the Lord truly spoke to me. Kate. He's pleased that you're, that you're moving in the spirit, that you're opening up prophetic weekends and Sundays and you're, you're, you're striving to come to church not to get but to give. That you walk in this place, not how can, how, what am I going to get this? What am I going to do? What, I, I, me, 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 I, I, I. Come on, are y'all with me? That's what two-year-olds do. Not mature believers. And we, we've had a long time to really mature and get solid. Now God's going to start bringing a lot of people. And how are you going to respond? Well, it doesn't feel like it used to feel. Are y'all with me? Now, I've been from 25 people on the weekend to 8,500 people on Sunday. And I've watched people come, and I've watched people go, and I've had people walk up and say, hey, it's not like it used to be. And I say, thank God. Because we just baptized 800. We're about to hit our 10,000th baptism at Faith Promise. About to hit. Y'all turning 25, we turn 30 in next February. And so 
I say, absolutely. They say, well, I want it to be like it was in the Bible, but you want it to be big. Because 120 people in the upper room prayed for 10 days. After the first worship service, there was, there was 5,000. No, it was 3,120. After the next week, there were 8,000, 8,120 people at church. I don't like a big church. Well, you'd have hated the New Testament. So we're, we're coming, and listen, I need you to move from being an American consumer to being a Christ-like contributor. That if you've got to move service, so be it. If you've got to serve into it, that's what it takes, so be it. If I've got to give more money, so be it. Whatever it takes for us to make it hard to go to hell from olive branch, because see, God is not moving in your services so that you can walk out and talk about how, what, what a great experience you had. He is preparing you for what he wants to do through you. That as more people come, you're equipped for a little power evangelism. You're equipped for a word that you're equipped to, that you're equipped to see what's going on in the spirit, that you're equipped to walk up next to someone and say, hey, the Lord spoke to me, and you just read their mail, and they begin to weep, and you win them to Jesus. It, you don't come to sit and soak and sour, but you come to serve and walk and be filled and help minister to the next generation that God is bringing. See, when we talk about what about the next generation, man? Is there any hope? Public school and, and look at the culture. Look at Hollywood. Listen, the only hope is us. And so we want to make it so conducive for the next generation. Roll here. You are. I hear guys doing something in the student ministry. Praise God. Are y'all with me? And so God is pleased that you're moving in. Don't just move in publicly. Move in privately. Are y'all with me? So get with God. Get in your secret place. And then get ready to have to add a service, to have to add to the buildings, to plant another campus, to keep moving you say, but it costs and everything. Listen, some of us got perfectly manicured lawns and beautiful homes that are all going to burn up. Y'all with me? The only thing we're taking to heaven is the people we went to Jesus. You're not taking your yard or your garden. You're not taking your hunting trophies or your 401K. You're not taking your handbags or your shoes, ladies. All we're taking. If, is, is heaven real? Yes. Is hell real? Yes. Then what else matters? So I get to, I get to father and mentor your pastor and, and the team, and I don't know that I've ever seen a church in my entire life prepare for what God's about to do. And I've never seen a church prepare for what God's about to do without God moving. Are y'all with me? So the, the word God gave me is be ready. Be ready. Be willing. Don't be, the, don't be the whiners and gripers and complainers. Somebody got my seat. They got my parking spot. Somebody, are y'all with me? You walk in the first time at an Easter. I'll tell you this and we're going to worship. We, we, we began to really blow the doors up. We had like, I don't know, 10,000 for Easter services and and. 
I had to walk out and stop the worship and say, listen, we're out of seats. I need about 100 promisers to go home. I just need you to get up. I need you to go home and come back later. And people got up weeping, weeping that they could give their seat up for a lost person. Are y'all with me? See, this is the heartbeat of a church that cares about people far from God. See, Jesus said the one is more important than the 99. The one lost is more important than the 99 who were in the house. Is that going to be our heart, Great Commission? Is that going to be our heart, Great Commission? Do we serve an exalted God? Do we serve a mighty Savior? Do we serve a limitless, powerful God? Come on, somebody, does our God deserve worship and praise and honor? Come on, let's stand to our feet and let's worship. Come on, give Jesus a shout of praise. Come on, somebody.
pastor here and we're going to continue worshiping through giving and as you're preparing your gift and you can finish up that ministry card I wanted to tell you something that I thought of this week when I was contemplating giving um, I love it when my kids play together it, it brings me joy when they're getting along but it never fails that when they're playing with Legos it always turns into a battle of whose Lego is whose and I don't know how they can remember every Lego piece and which one it belongs to, but I always know it ends up being an all-out war uh, when it comes to Legos. And I go in, try to break it up, and I say, uh, what's going on? And they say, this Lego was mine. I say, well, let me, how do you know? Well, my third birthday, I got a set, and it was in that. I was like, you know that. No, it was mine, no, it was mine. I said, whoa, 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 who bought this? Well, you did, that's right, I bought it, so it's mine. You, now I have a stack of little Lego pieces that I end up claiming. Does that bring you joy when your kids do that kind of stuff? Not really. But I'll tell you what, every once in a while I'll look in their room and they're playing and they're doing good and one of them says, oh hey, that's mine. Oh yeah, I'm sorry, here you go, I was borrowing it. And they give it back to them and I'll tell you what, the joy that that brings to my heart when they willingly and cheerfully share with each other, I absolutely love it. And I thought about this, I said, I wonder if God feels that way when we willingly and cheerfully give. When we support the gospel, when we support the church. And that really brought joy to my heart, because here's, here's the verse that came to my mind. 1 Corinthians 9, 7, where the writer Paul shares this. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I mean, isn't it wonderful when we can give and we're cheerful about it? I love that verse so much. And as ushers come forward, I'm going to pray for us that we can learn to be uh, cheerful givers. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful in Jesus' name that we get to take time today and, and cheerfully give back to you what's yours, God, because we want to support the gospel. We want people to know Jesus. We want to take people to heaven with us. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, as we're receiving the offering, uh, I wanted to give you a sneak peek. Last week, the kids participated in the Super Bible Bowl, and I'll tell you what, you've got to be a, a, a part of this as they were learning the gospel through creative ways. And I'm going to show you a fun video. Uh, so go ahead and take a look at the screens.
So uh, now you guys want to work in the children, skip my sermons. It's not okay. Find Luke chapter 1 in your Bible, hold a finger there, and then find Acts 28 and hold a finger there so, you're, so you've got a, a section of the Bible that you're holding. I'm going to do something with that in just a moment. My name is Trevor Davis. I'm GCC's pastor, and we are here on the Lord's Day. This is part two of Grace at the Lord's Table. And before we get there, I want to tell you another God story. And hey, can we get those lights that they had on Chris earlier, like right on me, or the ones that Bill and Jen had? Because my eyes are getting worse, and it's hard for me to read here without lighting. I don't know if that's possible, but we'll, we'll see. This, here's a God story from uh, last week. I'm going to withhold the names because the information is a little sensitive. Uh, but here's, a, here's a, a godly woman in our church who wrote, I recently had someone make a serious accusation of fraud against me which diminishes my character and could affect my business. She's a business owner. This was done in a group forum where multiple people saw it. There was no basis for it other than maybe some insinuating comments by former employees with a motive to create chaos in my business. This was very upsetting to me since I work hard to maintain my integrity. I reached out privately and told the person to either provide proof for their reckless statement or an apology in the same group text in order to rectify the situation. Initially, there was defiance and it lasted for days. I prayed privately about it, but the defiance only seemed to grow. So I brought it to the church prayer team last Sunday. Amen. And the words that I remember hearing in prayer over me were, and I quote, God, we ask you to shut the mouths of the lions like you did for Daniel. I don't know which one of y'all prayed that, but you can start praying for me. And listen to this. Here's here's the aftermath. Just before 10 a.m. on Monday morning, I received a text from the person admitting there was no wrong done, and I received an apology. And there was also a text stating these same things in the group text too. I'm thankful to be a part of the body of Christ to God be the glory. Why did you tell me that story, Pastor? Because you may not need a physical healing today. Uh, You may not need comfort from a death in your family or anything like that. You, You may be going through a terrible conflict like she was. And look, what I didn't tell you is she's the boss and she could have fired that, that person. And she'd have been right. But she's also a godly lady. And she knows her Lord. And she's like, I want to to give as much grace as I can. And I want to wait for God to to do something. And so she did it. And she brought it to the church and said, pray for me. Let me wait on the Lord and be like Jesus and see if he'll work this out for his glory. And he did. Because God works through the body of Christ. I want to tell you something. Jesus loves his bride. He just does. So, go get prayer today, amen? It works for the glory of God and for your situation. So, grace at the table. Uh, The Lord's Supper is shared four times in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and 1 Corinthians. But the way uh, many churches I've been in would, would approach the Lord's Supper, you'd think it's only been listed once and repeated four times, and there's, there are no differences. But we know that there are. 
And so today as we look at Luke, we want to know, we want to know why, first of all in your Bible, why is there a gospel of Luke? And, and what's the other book that Luke wrote? The book of Acts? And so why is there Luke and why is there Acts? Well, let me ask you this. Matthew, uh, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, uh, that's called the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Who wrote those? Moses. And Bible scholars basically agree that's one work divided into like five different little books, little bigger books. In the same, and and you, don't, you don't have to div divide them. They're one work. In the same way in your Bible, Luke and Acts, one work. And so we shouldn't divide them. I have you look there because in Luke chapter 1, uh, is where that work begins, and it ends in Acts chapter 28. And if you look at Luke chapter 1, and you look at Acts chapter 28, they could not be even a, one ounce more different. Let me say it this way. Luke wrote to alert his readers that the age had changed. Up to that time, God had been dealing singularly with only the nation of Israel. But now... His ministry was going to begin in Jerusalem, and it was going to branch out to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Do we remember this? So something changed, something different. And Luke and Acts is a pair. It must not be separated. As you look at your Bible and you, you're holding Luke chapter 1, and you flip over and you see Acts chapter 28, in between Luke 1 and 28, something happened. And Acts 28, 28, at the end, it's the last words that the Apostle Paul spoke in the book of Acts to the Jewish leaders in Rome, and here's what it says. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. Luke chapter 1, you know, you know how it starts? Look at me. It starts with an angel in the temple announcing the birth of a prophet. An angel, a temple, and a prophet. You can't get more Jewish than that. And in Acts 28, 28, at the end of the same work, the apostle Paul says to the Jewish leaders, this word's going to the Gentiles and they'll hear it. How do we swing from as Jewish as you can get to as Gentile as you can get in the same work? Something radical happened. And you read about what radically happened in Acts 22 through Luke 22 to Acts 1. A major shift in history had occurred. Here's what happens in Luke 22 to Acts chapter 1. In those chapters, Jesus of Nazareth was arrested. He was abused. He was tried. He was condemned. He was crucified. He was buried, he was raised from the dead, he was seen by witnesses, and he ascended back into heaven. That's what happened to go from an angel in the temple announcing the birth of a prophet to this message will be heard by the Gentiles and they're going to get it. Can we agree that the passion of the Christ, the, the, the death and the burial and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus is the most important thing that's ever happened in the history of the world? Well, that's one of the reasons that Luke wrote Luke and Acts, to show you that the time changed. Something happened. And the second reason that Luke wrote Luke and Acts is to ask a question. And the question is, who speaks for God? 
among the many voices, whose is most important? Now, Luke opens his gospel, chapters 1, 2, and 3, and many entities speak for God. There are, there, there are priests, and there's expectant mothers, and there's angels, and there's shepherds, and they all speak for the Lord. I'll give you some examples. It, it, we begin with the angel Gabriel, and he speaks to Zacharias the priest in verse 13 of chapter 1. Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayers heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And then the same angel speaks to a young virgin named Mary, and, and he says to her in verse 30, Do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. So the first person that speaks for God in Luke is an angel. The second one is that expectant mother Elizabeth. And she says to Mary in 142 with a loud voice, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And Catholics repeat that every day. Then the second expectant mother speaks for God. It's Mary herself. And look what she says about the Lord. And look at how she belittles herself. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoiced in God, my Savior. Mary needed to be saved. She can't do anything for you. Angels speak next for God. You know this from the Christmas story, verses 10 and 11 of chapter 2. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all the people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And then the last person to speak for God in the first three chapters of, of Luke is John the Baptist, the last of the Old Testament prophets. And he's really on fire, and the crowds are coming. Like Pastor Chris says, it's getting bigger and bigger. And, and John is like, no, I, I'm not here for church growth. I want you, if you want to be baptized, to understand you got to live it. So we read in Luke 3, 7, and 8, he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, he, first he calls them snakes, amen? Not, not the best way to start loving your congregation, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the, from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Right, so let's recap what's been prophesied so far. Two important sons will be born, John the Baptist and Jesus. Are they important, yes or no? Now, Mary and her son are especially blessed of God. Do we believe this? Mary praises God and notes that she needs a Savior. A Savior has been born in Bethlehem, and you should flee the coming wrath and repent. That's the prophecy so far, yes? That's chapters 1, 2, and 3. Now listen very carefully to me. When chapter 4 shows up, when chapter 4 comes, Jesus speaks. In fact, he's, he's at a religious meeting. He's at a synagogue in his hometown. Now, pastor, I have, I've been looking far and wide. I, I, I wish I could find, so I need a support group. I need the support group for men who planted a church in their hometown. Because that's what I did. Olive Branch is my place. Because of what Jesus is about to say. So he gets there. He's a traveling rabbi. And, and in the synagogue, they would ask you if you wanted to stand up and address the crowd. And so they handed him the scroll of Isaiah the prophet. This is in Luke chapter 4. And they say, would you like to share a few words? And he says, matter of fact, I will. And he's handed. Listen, he didn't pick the text. It's almost like heaven has a coincidence here, right? 
The text was chosen for him. So he reads it, Luke 4, 18 and 19. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That's the Bible text he was given. He reads it and he sits down. Because in the synagogue, if you're the, if you're the speaker, you sit. He sits down, everybody reclines. You can hear a pin drop in the house. What's he going to say? You know what he says? Verse 21. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The young people, when they, uh, when they make a basket or they slam a volleyball and their friends, they go, I'm him. When Jesus read the text given to him and everybody looked at him, you know what he said? He said, I'm him. The Spirit of the Lord is on me to do all that. This thing just happened in your presence. Now remember, it's his hometown. You know what they started to say? They started to say, wait a minute, isn't that Joseph's son? Didn't he grow up right here? Didn't he play with our children? Prophets don't grow up from little boys, do they? And they were disenchanted with his claim. Which brings us to verse 24, where Jesus made a very famous statement. Then he said, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. My brothers and my sisters, in John 4, 24, Jesus claims to be a prophet of God. And now I want you to understand something. After Jesus speaks, in, in Luke chapter 4, no other prophet speaks the word of God in the rest of the gospel of Luke. Even after he, he, even after he authorizes his disciples to speak on his behalf, we don't hear them. We only hear the prophet Jesus. Listen to me. The era has changed. A shift was coming. A fault line. An earthquake. Something that will make the world never the same again. What does it mean? How should we understand Luke's account of the Lord's Supper? Considering a new prophet has arrived on the scene as the period, the time period is reset. For the rest of the message, I'm going to answer this question. If Jesus is the foremost prophet, what should go through our minds at the table of the Lord? Two passages in Luke inform our thinking. And listen to me. Two passages in Luke show us the answer to the questions. And they both happen at mealtime around tables. The first one is Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. Too many verses to go through the whole thing. Luke chapter 7. Look, look at me. Earlier in the same chapter, Jesus raises a widow's son from the dead. Don't speed past that for a second. Because we have a high view of Jesus, we shrug that off. Let me say this to you one more time. A widow has one son left. He's all she has left in the world, and he dies. And Jesus raises him from the dead. Was that a good day? 
When he did, how did the crowd respond to the miracle? Verse 16, then fear came upon all and they glorified God saying, a great prophet has risen among us and God has visited his people. When God sends a prophet, he comes with him and he visits and he helps people. So now we get to Luke 7, 36 to 50. And let me tell you what, what's happened. You guys tracking? Are you with me? Is this helpful so far? It's going to be a short sermon. You're going to feel cheated, right? In Luke 7, 36 to 50, Simon the Pharisee invites Jesus to come to his house. Now, yesterday, me and Angie invited Chris and Michelle to come to our house, and we were grilling. And five minutes before they got there, my grill caught on fire, and it wouldn't go out. And the meat was on the grill. Amen? So I got the meat off the grill, and I just let the fire go out. And the Lord saved us. The, but, but everything we had planned up to that point, and we worked all day long. You're, you're kind of worth it, I guess. And we cleaned, and, and I thought, it's all, we're, we're going to do all this, and we're going to have to order pizza at the last minute. Is this what's going to happen? We were ready for hospitality. Why would you invite this strange rabbi? Because, Simon, if you do, you're going to only increase his popularity. You are are giving him credibility, inviting him to your home. Why would you do that? Then, if you read the story, as Jesus enters the house, all the traditional courtesies of hospitality were omitted. They were denied Jesus. Custom required a kiss of greeting. Custom required water and olive oil, water to wash the feet, olive oil to refresh the the, the head and the face. Only then, after washing hands ceremonially, refreshing the head and the face, only then could the traditional prayer of thanksgiving be offered, and it wasn't until after the prayer of thanksgiving that the meal could begin. Simon gives Jesus none of the three. The Babylonian Talmud, which is a commentary on the Old Testament, says, Our rabbis taught the absence of oil is a bar, a barrier to the saying of grace. Without this, you can't even say the prayer. And the Talmud says, Just as a dirty person is unfit for the temple service, so dirty hands are unfit for saying grace. These were denied Jesus so that everything's awkward now and everyone in the room knew it. What's happening at Simon's house? Every culture has rituals for welcoming guests. We know this. We, in our culture, we do them without thinking, but they're very important. And if you bypass them, you, you communicate many things. What does it look like when we welcome guests in our home? It goes something like this. Hey, Larry, it's nice to see you. Wouldn't you like to come in? May I take your coat? Please, sit here in my chair and rest. May I I bring you something to drink? And then what does the host do? He turns off the television. He closes the laptop. He puts his cell phone on silent. He is making sure signals to his guest that his guest is welcome, that that he has plenty of time for him or plenty of time for her. The guest now has the host's undivided attention. This is what we do. My friends, what if you omit the entire list? Well, if you do... It's a clear, calculated insult. Simon withheld from Jesus all the party favors of ancient Near Eastern culture and hospitality. And our passage suggests 
that he had invited Jesus to his home not to honor him, but to test him. And what was the test? Was this man indeed a prophet of God? You know what happens next? A notoriously sinful woman crashes the party. She had heard Jesus' sermons, and she had heard him say, Yahweh welcomes sinners. Yahweh, my Father, he'll forgive you if you repent. It doesn't matter where you've been or how far into the gutter you dove. If you'll just come through me, you can get to God. She heard that, and she believed it. She heard he was going to be at the party. She just wanted to go and wait in line till the end and just say thank you to him. She even brought him a gift, an alabaster box of, of, of oil. Do you know this story, yes or no? She's, she had a bad reputation in that town. You know what that means? She was a loose woman and everybody knew it and she wasn't denying that. She shows up and she, and she can't believe that her master has been denied the, the courtesies that, that even the lowest guests would receive. And she knows that she, he needs to wash his hands so that the meal can get going, but she doesn't have any water. And, and she's so brokenhearted over his mistreatment that she begins to weep. And as she weeps, she goes, that's it. The water or my tears. I'll wash his feet with my tears. And since I don't have a towel, they were supposed to give me a towel when I walked in. Since I don't have a towel, I'll use my hair. And I will clean my master's feet. And I will get him ready for this meal, even if his host won't. And we read in verses 37 and 38 of Luke 7. And behold, a woman in that city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and, he st and stood, it behind, stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. And my brothers and my sisters, that's when Simon got the answer he was looking for. Here's verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, If this man were a what? If he were a prophet, he would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him for she is a sinner. Can I tell you something? Jesus is not merely one prophet among many. He's not a prophet. He's the prophet. That's what they called him in the Old Testament. Moses said, a prophet like me. And once again, Jesus, being the prophet, furnishes something no mere human can give. In verse 48, he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Now, take your Sunday school glasses off for a second. Go back to the first century in Israel and put yourself there. In that community, who had greater honor? Simon, the religious leader who read the Bible every day, or the woman who turned tricks and had a bad reputation? Who, was, who had greater honor in the community? Simon. But in Luke, the woman had far greater honor. 
from Jesus. And that's where you want your honor to come from, by the way. Verse 47 says, Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Well, pastor, what does this idea have to do with the Lord's Supper? Everything. Those who are welcomed and honored at the supper in the turn of the times, at the table of the foremost prophet of God, are those whom he has declared forgiven. They are people who love him greatly because they have learned that they owe him considerably. How do I apply this to my life? One last passage of scripture from Luke, the other dinner passage, is Luke 15, 1 and 2. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Look at me. The prophet does not welcome the obedient to his table because he can't find any. He receives sinners and he eats with them. At his table, by the new covenant in his blood, he has redeemed those same sinners that he eats with. He welcomes the forgiven. So by matter of application, two ideas. Number one, it's not the religious who are welcome to his table. It's those who know how deeply undeserving they are. That's me. Number two, it's also those who know how exceedingly worthy and how highly exalted Jesus is. It's those who know they don't belong but are welcomed nevertheless by the foremost prophet of God. So today when we come to his table, everybody listen, ignore the urge to put your things up right now. People need to hear. This table is for you if you've trusted in Jesus Christ and you've been baptized. If you belong to a local church and they've baptized you and they say, look, we see evidence of the grace of God and salvation in you, then, then you should come to this table today because Jesus invites you to come. If you have young children and they're unbaptized, you should bring them to the table, withhold the elements, show them what they're missing. I can't imagine a better evangelistic moment than that. Explain it to them later. If you have a conviction that you receive the Lord's Supper with your church and you're visiting here today, I kind of share your same conviction. When I go to other churches, I typically don't partake of the Lord's Supper. Uh, that's not 100%, but most of the time. I, hey, I'm with you, and if you want to sit and observe us, you go ahead and do that and just pray and thank God for, that you have a great church. If you're, if you're not a Christian yet, you should watch what we do and go, that's not for me, and ask yourself, why is it not for me? 
Because Jesus said, you must be born again. To as many as received him, even to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. God's not your father yet because you don't have the right for him to be your father. You get the right when you receive Jesus and believe in his name. We want to help you with that. You think about that. I'm going to pray. The, the elders and the ushers are going to get in place, and we're going to observe the table of the foremost prophet of God. Is that a deal? Let's do it. Father, thank you for your word, for your truth, for the gospel, for the forgiveness of sins. Thank you that you're going to eat with sinners again today, the ones you've redeemed. In Jesus' name, and a faith-filled church said, amen.
Hey guys, we're about to dismiss, but before we do that, can the prayer ministry team please come forward? Uh, I want to share a quick story, and then we're going to do some praying, and then you'll be dismissed. Um, there, we had a student recently who came for prayer. Uh, her name is Haley. Uh, Haley was having some mouth, kind of some throat problems. She couldn't, she couldn't eat, couldn't really swallow. She was really suffering. Uh, and so recently she came and got some prayer. She asked God to do what only God can do. And guess what God did? What only he can do, right? And God actually healed her. And she's been, uh, been able to eat and, and been doing well. And I tell you that because nobody's too young. Nobody's too old. Nothing's too big, nothing's too small, because God is a good father. Some of you may have been born with a bad father, but you can get born again and get a great father. And so I want to invite everybody to come uh, receive prayer, uh, and then um, you are, of course, dismissed. Thank you guys for coming. Have a great day.